0: Good morning, Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN. If I was any kind of program host, I would have done a, a maybe a, a 5K this morning before being on the radio because we are talking to the president and founder of the Association for Pet Obesity Prevention and the only surfer who I happen to know, Dr. Ernie Ward. Hi. <laughs>
1: hey,
0: great to be with you, Steve.
1: <laughs> Well,
0: tell me about surfing. I I see all these things. I mean, social media is a great thing, because then I get a glimpse into your life, and I see that you are mostly all wet.
1: Yes, I I do. You know, I do a lot of different endurance athletics, and uh, it's kind of been a part of my life for most of my adult life. And, you know, I I kind of made my way through the Ironman, you know, and did that for for about 15 years. And then as I've gotten a little older, I really enjoy uh, doing these ocean paddles. So we'll go out there and, you know, spend two to four hours kind of paddling from one island to the next here on the coast of North Carolina. It's a great workout, great way to be in touch with nature, uh, you know, and certainly, you know, I think uh, just one of those those activities that ties in so many parts of your spiritual, physical, emotional being that just leads to health and wellness.
0: Yeah, I would do the same thing, but I'd rent a motorboat to do it and a guy to (laughs) run the boat to go from (laughs) island to island. I mean, but good for you. Is that... Personal interest in physical fitness, is that what got you thinking that, you know what, I need to do something, because it was you who did this. And I'll tell you, any veterinarian, I think, knows your name, because what you did, and we'll talk more about this, but you put the notion on the map that we have to, first of all, document exactly, we all know there are a lot of overweight and obese animals. But what does a lot mean? And secondly, what does it mean medically, psychologically, in science, not anecdote? What does it mean that so many pets are diseased, which is something else you did? In human health, obesity is considered a disease. And because of you, we're doing that now with our dogs and cats. But let me back up. What got you interested in this in the first place?
1: Yeah, and and Steve, I'm glad you brought that up, because it did begin with my own personal health journey. I looked at my family history, and I looked at both maternal and paternal sides, and realized very quickly it was apparent that all of the males died an early and tragic death, and most of it was related to obesity, smoking, alcohol, and so forth. So when I left home for college as a teenager, quite frankly, I said, whatever those guys did, I'm going the opposite direction. So, you know, I became plant-based, became very in tune with physical activities. And and then as a, as a veterinarian later in my life, uh, you know, I, I started getting into ultra-endurance Ironman events. And so I became a certified personal trainer, you know, back in, 2005 or so, and then in 2006, I became one of the first cohorts of the USA triath- Triathlon uh, Organization, the people that do the Olympics. I became a certified uh, triathlon coach, and so as I'm going through these other you know, studies and credentials... I'm realizing, wow, nothing like this is being discussed for the pets that I serve. And I also, at the same time, recognized I was seeing more and more pets that were gaining weight and becoming unhealthy as a, as a consequence. I mean, we were seeing more and more diabetes in cats and so forth, a lot of arthritis. And that was really the genesis for the Association for Pet Obesity Prevention. Another dear friend of mine uh, who is president of the American College of Veterinary Surgeons, Dr. Steve Budsberg, um, really, I, I guess he got tired of me complaining about obesity in animals and the lack of awareness. And he he challenged me over dinner at a conference. He said, well, Ernie, why don't you go do something about it? And I said, you know what, Steve, I will as long as you promise to help me. And that's how it started back in 2005.
0: Wow. All right. So you said, I want to begin this organization. And what was the initial initial intent? Because I know it's evolved. But initially,
1: what was the goal? The goal was to measure the prevalence of overweight and obesity in pets in America. That's It was that simple because we didn't have a good figure, right? I mean, we kind of had little academic studies that would extrapolate data. And so what we did was we started cobbling together, you know, a few hundred clinics around the country who would go in on a certain day or a week and they would record the body condition scores and weights uh, of the dogs and cats that they saw routinely. So we were trying to capture what owned pets, you know, what their weight and their body condition would be. And that's really how it started. And of course, over the years as we continue to, to refine this data and the procedures involved with with acquiring it, you know, it's become the go to percentage. And of course we've just we were delayed during COVID. Obviously, you know, like like most people, you know, things were disrupted in the veterinary world and, and so we weren't able to, to conduct it in twenty twenty, so we had to do it last year. So we missed a year, but nonetheless the real goal was to say, "Hey, is it a problem? If so, how big of a problem? Raising awareness was the first you know in top priority of the association for pet obesity
0: prevention and it was raising awareness in veterinary medicine as well, and let me explain what I mean by that. I mean every veterinarian who does who works with dogs and cats knows and has known for years that there are many of them that are overweight. And obese, but veterinarians, when it comes down to it, are scientists. They want data first of and for, and foremost. And and you provided that data. Beginning when?
1: Yeah, our first pilot study was shortly after we started. So in two thousand and six. We got about twenty clinics around the country to really examine the methodology. I don't want to bore the listeners, you know, with that. But so the first year was basically what works and what doesn't work, refinement of the procedure, and then after two thousand six, you know, beginning in two thousand seven, we really had a, a pretty solid procedure down, and, and that's what we've been doing to, to date. And really, you know, uh, for listeners that are interested, we we do a couple of different things, but the most important thing is something called a body condition score. And if you're listening today, that's what you want to ask your veteran. To do every time you take your dog and cat into the clinic. I don't care for what reason, just say, hey doc, would you mind giving me the BCS for my pet? Because what we're looking at is not a number on a scale, which is weight or mass, but we're actually looking at fat distribution, accumulation, and muscle you know condition and so forth. So these are the elements that I'm most interested in because, you know, Steve, at the end of the day, it's really not a number on a scale that causes health consequences. It's actually the body composition or condition. The more stored body fat that you have, the more at risk you are for diseases like kidney disease and different heart conditions and respiratory conditions and, and hyper- high blood pressure and kidney disease. I mean, you know, and and of course, now we're seeing the link between cancer and excess body fat is, is really you know one of the forefronts of research that we're seeing in human and veterinary medicine. Okay.
0: So everything, and you just mentioned it, everything you just rattled off there, and we'll talk in more detail about... The impact of being, for our pets, of being overweight and obese, the truth is, and this is sometimes the hard thing for veterinarians to deal with, because the human that brings in the animal looks like the animal, in that that human may be overweight or obese himself or herself. In fact, that's pretty common, isn't
1: it? Yeah yeah it is because over 63% of us adults are classified as overweight or have obesity and so you know this is something that we've not only studied in a research capacity but i've written you know we've we've done we've not only published peer review research on how to communicate these challenging issues, quite frankly, but also we've done a tremendous amount of awareness and outreach to both veterinary professionals as well as pet parents, because we're trying to destigmatize this conversation, right? We're trying to say, look, this is no different than your veterinarian talking to you about your dog's arthritis or your cat's cancer, right? You you don't somehow feel judged or embarrassed if they have those conversations, and yet when it comes to weight and body condition, sometimes we do. And in fact, every year for the past several years, we've, we've included do you feel embarrassed if your vet tells you that your dog or cat is overweight or needs to lose weight? And we've really been trying to track those inherent biases and stigmas. And, and you Steve, quite frankly, a lot of people are uncomfortable with these conversations because of many of the factors you just mentioned. And so we're trying to reduce those barriers and give veterinarians, you know, the tools, the communication resources they need to have constructive communication in the exam room, to do it in a non threatening fashion so that everybody walks out of there feeling comfortable and set, the, you know, and they now have something that they can do and act upon to improve the health of their pets.
0: All right, so here is the best radio tease of all time. When we come back with Dr. Ernie Ward, there's new data available. Are we seeing more or fewer overweight, obese dogs and cats? What do you think? We'll tell you what the results were next on WGN. Dr. Ernie Ward is the founder and president of the Association for Pet Obesity Prevention. And every couple of years, typically, there's a new survey that is released, which tells veterinary professionals and the general public, all of you, how many pets there are that are overweight or obese. And there's new data. There's a new announcement. Bah, 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 bah. <laughs> That's all the sound effects that we could afford on our budget, Dr. Ward. But you tell me what the new, the latest information is.
1: Yeah, so, so as you mentioned, biannually we do these surveys of veterinarians all across the country. They report body condition uh, scores for dogs and cats that they see. So these are owned pets, you know, not feral or free roaming dogs and cats. And unfortunately, the numbers did creep up slightly. So when we look at dogs right now, uh, the latest data, the 2022 State of Pet Obesity Report, which you can access online if you just go to petobesityprevention.org, you can download the full report. But the top line is about 59% of all dogs were classified as overweight or obese and 61% of cats. Now, both of those numbers did increase from 2018 and it's track it back to 2017 and 2016 and so forth. Uh, dogs showed the biggest jump, and uh, they went up from, uh, we actually were about 56% in 2018, which was the last time we were able to conduct our survey. As we mentioned in the, in the earlier segment, you know, due to COVID, we were unable to do the 2020, so we had to skip to 2022, uh, and cats, again, crept up about a percent. But, Steve, there's, there's part of this data that doesn't get reported as widely, and, I, and I'd love the chance to tell your, your owners about it or your listeners about it, is the fact that, you know, we continue to see an increase in the number of pets that have obesity. So, see, it's not just that they're a little overweight, but now we've got dogs and cats that are at risk for clinical symptoms and disease. And so for dogs, the latest data is about 22% of all the ones that we evaluated around the country, had obesity, okay? About 37% were overweight, and then the 40% were normal, okay? And for cats, of course, the story is even worse, and we've seen this historically since we've, you know, been measuring this. Cats with obesity, it's about a third. In fact, this last survey showed 33% of the cats that were analyzed by their veterinarian had a body condition score of 8 or 9 putting them at great risk for diabetes and kidney disease and many forms of cancer about 27% were classified as overweight and then of course the remaining you know 39% were normal so we've got a long way to go but if I, if you're taking one thing from this little segment listeners if you've got a dog or a cat you really want to talk to your veterinarian about its body condition score to see if it's in that high-risk category of obesity because, again, there's a huge difference between your cat curing two extra pounds versus six extra pounds, and it really is the difference between sometimes life and death, but certainly between diabetes or normal. And
0: we'll talk about how to get that weight off and why it's important medically, and I argue psychologically. You know how I feel Mm. about that, Dr. Ward. Absolutely. And I know you agree uh, as well. We'll talk about that in a moment. I'm curious, though, you said that... These figures have been creeping up. I wonder if you know off the top of your head, and you may not, how they compare to your first survey.
1: What was that? 2008, maybe you said? Yeah, 2007. And, and you're right. Now two things have changed since 2007 that make it a little bit difficult to compare directly. And one was we changed and standardized the body condition score. So if you dial back 15 or 16 years ago, there were about four competing scales for body condition. So we were using a one to five and we then made a standard around the world. We gained consensus. Uh, we've got 25 of the world's largest veterinary organizations in agreement now that the one-to-nine scale is the preferred. And if you're out there listening, too, if you're a veterinary professional, a vet tech, or a veterinarian, We're talking whole integers. You can't have a 7.5, okay? We need to keep it pretty clean as far as data goes. But but when we compare it, it's really every year we've seen this gradual, really almost a 1% uh, increase over time. So it's a slow but steady march towards obesity. And sadly, Steve, we're seeing almost the exact same thing in human obesity, both for adults and for childhood.
0: All right. Now, I I, I think that if I was talking to a physician here, that physician would say, okay, that individual who may be obese actually has what's called a disease, obesity. Right, uh, right. We never thought that about companion animals, but Dr. Ernie Ward, you went to the world, literally, and you right. said, that, that can't be. If it's true for humans, it's got to be true for our companion animals as well.
1: We did, and and so what we did was in in, uh, in about 2017 and 2018, we started something called the Global Pet Obesity Initiative, and what we wanted to do were three simple things. One to standardize this body condition scale, right? So that we all would be saying the same thing. If we said a BCS of five, whether you're in Peru or in Canada or the United States or Germany, we were all speaking the same numbers, right, okay? The second thing we wanted to do was actually define the term obesity and overweight, because if you think about it, Steve, these are medical terms, and they had no def- definitive definitions. And so we defined, similar to the human obesity definition, anything of 30% above ideal, Okay, so and I know that's a bit subjective, but you know, we have breed standards and so forth that we rely upon. And then the third part is what you're alluding to was that and this was actually the most contentious of all the things that we were trying to do, and that was to declare obesity a disease, much like the American Medical Association has done, and of course all of the European medical colleges as well. And and interestingly, Steve, we, we've really gained a lot more support from our European and South American counterparts than we have in the United States. We've we've been the AVMA has has still not taken this up for a formal vote. We did get the House of Delegates, the Board of Directors, to actually say they agreed with obesity as a disease, but they have yet to vote on it. So if you have a friend who's involved with the ABMA as a representative, (laughs) uh, please encourage them to take up the vote this summer. uh, Every year we petition, and and hopefully one day we will, because we think it's a strong statement, right? It's just following in the human medical footsteps, but we think it's more important just to put the emphasis on obesity, not just as, uh, you know, unsightly or aesthetically or, you know, just this, you know, thing, but actually a disease process. Well, and it really
0: is. I mean, we know, yeah. we, we kind of do know that. No one, despite what the AVMA hasn't done, they also don't argue with you. It clearly right. is and impacts both the physical well-being and mental well-being of our animals. We'll talk about that in great detail. And it's complicated. You've got all that weight. How do you get the weight off? How did you get it on in the first place? It's not always about treats in the kitchen. We'll explain. Right. We'll come back with Dr. Ernie Ward on WGN. I've talked before on the show about Rainbow Animal Assisted Therapy. They're an amazing organization, but they do more than typical animal assisted therapy. One thing they do is for families with children that are fearful of dogs, they have a program. It's called the Dog Apprehension Program. It's fascinating that they enroll these kids in a course And they teach them to tolerate dogs, maybe, maybe even like dogs, by giving them control over the situation. We'll talk next week with Susan Burroughs about all of that. One thing I also want to talk about, and I will right now, is so many people are allergic to all kinds of things, including cats. Cats, actually the number one allergy on the planet. And I'm asked about this all the time, and I'm so excited about Purina Pro Plan Live Clear. Why am I so excited? Because this is a cat food that actually neutralizes the protein that we're allergic to when we're allergic to cats. So, no more cat allergies. Dr. Ernie Ward is the president and the founder of the Association for Pet Obesity Prevention. Prevention, that's the key word. We'll get to that in a moment. Okay, we kind of all know that it kind of, let me back up, Dr. Ward. I'm sure people are thinking now, Steve Dale is spending his entire program talking about this. Why? Well, because <laughs> our pets would live longer. Right. And not only longer lives, but it's all... The, the the famous Q word, with a capital Q, quality of life, right. would be so different. Healthier physically, healthier psychologically. So let's talk about physical well-being of dogs and cats We now know, this is not your opinion or my opinion, which you're about to explain. We know, at least some, maybe not all of them, but some of the impact of being overweight or particularly, as you've talked about, being obese. Let's talk about dogs first.
1: What are some of
0: the changes physically that occur?
1: Yeah, without, without a doubt, it's going to be gait abnormalities. And this is limping, inability to go up and down the stairs, hop in the car, really do the normal things that dogs do, whether it's playing fetch, chasing squirrels, or doing, you know, just going on a walk around the block. We know that obesity negatively impacts all joints, right? And of course, weight-bearing joints are going to be more affected. So the hips, the shoulders, the elbows, you know, the knees, these, these are the ones that go first. And that's really heartbreaking, Steve, because when we talk about quality of life, and uh, one of our dear colleagues and former board members uh, from the U.K., Alex, Dr. Alex Sherman, has done several uh, studies to look at quality of life changes with dogs and obesity. And you know, it's, it's significant. In fact, you know, pet owners in the vast majority of cases say, my dog is suffering. My dog is not living a, a normal life. And, 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 and then when you lose the weight, in fact, when they lose as little as 10% of their body weight, you know so they don't even have to go down to a slim spelt you know labrador anymore. They just lose five, six, seven pounds. Suddenly now they rebound and reclaim that quality of life. So I think for me, it's always about gait and mobility with dogs, with cats. Well wait, wait we hey, well, well, wait
0: just a moment ahead. there, because there's more yeah. to it that I don't want you to forget about. Uh, and that would be what was somewhat recently discovered there is an association between some types of cancer. And being obese as well in humans, I guess. But I don't know about that. I want to talk about dogs.
1: Right. And, and you're right. We're seeing more and more associations. And a lot of these are, are really just now emerging. Uh, so a lot of the sort of what we used to refer to as sex hormone linked uh, traits or cancers are those that we're most focused on right now. And these are because estrogen-like compounds are created by excess body fat. That's a lot of science. But the bottom line is that when we store extra body fat, we do produce, produce these estrogen-like compounds that then can go on to cause you know, cancer. So that's the first and most obvious uh, target. But we're also seeing a whole sequela of chronic inflammatory conditions and hormones and chemicals that also lead to a variety of cancers. So, you know, the story is yet to be firmly told, but we clearly see the direction it's heading in. And, and right now, you know, it's kind of a fast even like, there's been a new study in colon cancer instance with people, humans and obesity, and we're starting now to look at what about GI cancers in dogs and cats with obesity, and there seems to be a link.
0: Yeah, not surprising, right? Because right. Uh, what we get, our dogs get typically, not always, but typically, and vice versa. And uh, you know what? Inflammation is, is a key word here, I think. And well, it is a key word for us and for dogs, we, now, we know that inflammation, somehow cats respond even more radically, and I use yes. that word on purpose, to inflammation.
1: Yes, yes. And in fact, typically when I lecture to veterinarians, my first slide is that obesity is a chronic inflammatory disease date. That's usually what I start with because I want to paint a picture to clinicians that, hey, you know what? It's not just what you're seeing, right? The extra fatty folds and so forth, but it's actually underneath that at the cellular level that this damage is really you know, wrecking their health. And, and you know, one thing too, Steve, you did mention earlier about behavioral changes and when we look at humans suffering from obesity, we know that they have a wide variety of, of mental health challenges, including depression, right, and anxiety issues. They're directly related to some of the changes biochemically, uh, and neurochemically from obesity. And so we're starting now to investigate that, particularly in cats, uh, because I do, I personally have, a, a belief that this is definitely causing them to change their behaviors. But, you know, Steve, I think that as we explore and learn more about these negative health consequences, this chronic inflammatory state that, you know, obesity creates, I think you're going to start to say, oh, wow, it also makes you feel lousy and you're probably depressed and it changes your relationship with food, right? It creates these tremendous uh, swings and appetite and cravings and so forth. You know, in my first book, uh, Chow Hounds, which was about uh, the dog obesity epidemic back in uh, 2009, 2010, you know, I talked a lot about the neurochemical changes associated with obesity. And, you know, sadly, 12, 13 years later, we're only expanding on that knowledge. So I think you're absolutely right, Steve, about the behavioral changes associated, not just due to pain and immobilization, but also directly within the brain.
0: All right. I'll, I'll, I want to Talk about that more, and then we'll circle back to talk about uh, the health risk of which there are many uh, for cats. So, if a if that dog, if first of all, we know the positive endorphins happen when dogs simply run, uh, do what they're supposed to do. Uh, but they can't happen if the dog can't do that, uh, and and that turns out to make a difference. And some say, and I'm in that camp. That we have a nation filled with dogs and, incidentally, cats, that, yes, they're obese, but many, if not all of those, are also clinically depressed. And the other question I ask you is, am I crazy? Can dogs and cats be clinically depressed?
1: They absolutely can be clinically depressed. And, again, we, we typically, you know, the the terminology probably escapes us and fails us because we're trying to be anthropomorphic or describe human emotions, feelings, and beliefs to an animal that we can't really determine how they feel or believe. But I I totally agree with you as well. The other thing too, Steve, I think it's important to point out is the fact that most mammals, (laughs) and there might be a few exceptions that I'm unaware of, but we are, we regulate our brain chemistries based on aerobic activities and exposure to sunlight. And when we take dogs and cats and humans and we lock them away in as they used to call them the, the four walls of, of the apartment prison, right? And we don't allow them to engage in normal aerobic activity and be exposed to sunlight, which taps into a normal circadian rhythm, then we We create dysregulation and dysfunction of their normal hormones, okay? So for us, I think there's a lot more to this story, including the pituitary, including the hypothalamus, including the excess calories and carbohydrates. All of these things are a perfect storm for changing the way the animal feels, the behavior. And so, like you, there's a lot of pieces of this puzzle that are out there. And we're just now beginning to assemble it into a clear picture. Right now we've got, you know, a hundred different pieces all over the board and some very clever scientists starting to connect the dots. And I'll tell you, Steve, in five years from now, I think we'll have a very different conversation. Now, the hope is that not only can you change your pet's lifestyle, you'll improve its quality of life and how it feels about life, quite frankly. But later, in, later on, we're starting to learn now the different Pathways that we can make medical interventions to. So that's what's happening right now. You're already hearing about it with some of the human obesity drugs. And while we don't fully understand how, like, Zimpic or Wagovi work, we do know the pathways that they, they are interacting with. And so that's giving us insight for the next generation. So I'll tell you, Steve, it's, an, it's a very exciting time when it comes to treating the disease of obesity, both in humans and I think very quickly in, into animals. Well,
0: I want to talk more about treatment and what to do and maybe what not to do do, and also the impact of being overweight or obese for cats. We haven't gotten there, but we will get there when we come back for our final segment with Dr. Ernie Ward on WGN. Dr. Ernie Ward is the founder and the president of the Association for Pet Obesity Prevention. I think, Dr. Ward, anyone hearing this will get continuing education credit because we're going, (laughs) I, I don't know, have you done a radio interview before that's gone into such detail?
1: Well, i got to tell you, Steve, you know you are also on our board, and so you're as immersed in the science as anyone, so it's, and it's good too, I think, for for listeners to be exposed to the fact that this isn't just a Garfield fat cats or happy cats kind of issue. This is actually deep science, deep medicine with serious consequences.
0: Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that you called it famously the fat Gap. Explain what yep. that is.
1: Yeah, I think that too often what's happened is we've normalized obesity in our society, right? And so the fat pet gap is one of those where I look at a Labrador who weighs 105 pounds, and I clearly see obesity. I see a disease state. I see inflammation. I see risk factors for other conditions, right? Whereas the pet owner sees oh well buster's a big dog his daddy was big or whatever and so <laughs> yeah, that gap yeah. in between normal body condition and obesity is really the chasm that we have to close because until i can convince you to cross over into well buster's just a big dog into buster now has a medical disease a disease then you know we we can't really go anywhere and i, and I think that's the most frustrating part for veterinarians, because I think humans have a good idea of how their own body should look or feel and so forth. But we look at our dogs and our cats, and we typically don't have a good idea. And they're concealed by fur, right? And so suddenly now we're like going, well, Buster is a big dog. But the reality is he's got too much body fat.
0: And here's the way I put it: is similar to what you just said. But, uh, Dr. Ward, did you know your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather? No, I did not. Okay, so had you known the dude who probably surfed like you do, but had you known him, he would, and let's say he was a veterinarian, or not, it doesn't matter, he would have looked at the average dog today. If we could bring him back magically and look at the average dog or cat today, he would say, oh my gosh, they're all so fat. Our perceptions
1: have actually shifted, haven't they? Absolutely. And, and you know, we've actually looked at, at pictures of purebred dogs over the last hundred years or so since we had photographic you know recordings and uh, you clearly see a change in morphology or actually the body shape and outline and contouring and so today's purebred dogs many of them actually are heavier and bigger than they were you know at the turn of the century so again that normalization that fat gap it is a real thing but more importantly for veterinarians and pet parents it's just to be aware right so so the first you know 18 years of, of the association for Pet obesity uh, prevention was just about a We're just trying to bring to light this topic, and now we've shifted to our second stage, which is to really push and promote uh, treatments, because honestly, you know, at this point, I think most people have a better idea. We've transcended Garfield and fat cats or happy cats into saying, okay, this is a fat cat who is at risk for severe disease and decreased quality of life and decreased life expectancy, so what can we do about it?
0: All right, so before we get to that... We kind of skipped over cats, and I would suggest that right now there is an epidemic, epidemic, not too strong a word, of diabetes in cats, and it is 99.9%, about 100%, due to the fact we have so many overweight and obese cats. What's more, the problem of kidney disease, which any cat over the age of 12, 13, 14, 15 is going to get to some degree, in part, anyway, is a result of that as well as uh, exasperating arthritic issues. I guess I mentioned a bunch of them. There are probably more. Can you expound on what I just said?
1: Yeah, and high blood pressure. I think that's the silent, deadly killer that nobody knows about and and we don't talk about until it's too late. And I'm glad you mentioned the fact that diabetes, you know, we actually, I I use the term, it's a food bowl disease, (laughs) right? Because we know unless your cat has had chronic pancreatitis or pancreatic cancer or certain drugs, then it got diabetes from excess body fat. I mean, this is just a normal sequela. You see it in humans. You see it in dogs. So for us, we really want to prevent diabetes. We've got to go back to the food bowl. We've got to go back to preventing obesity because it's really that simple. And Steve, I, I really appreciate using the term, you know, uh, uh, epidemic. I mean, and, and, and I think that it, that's not too strong of a word. We, we can certainly argue about the semantics and how it applies statistically and so forth. But the reality is we're seeing such an increase and in surge in diabetics. It's heartbreaking because I can tell you, if you're listening today, that is one of the diagnoses your vet does not want to make because it is fraught with complications and challenges, and ultimately the outcome is not as favorable as, as you would think. Uh, humans, we can control our own you know, diabetes much better and precisely than we can in a dog or a cat.
0: All right, this won't be our last conversation because I want to talk further about prevention. We only have two minutes here to talk about, okay, what are some things that pet parents can do to prevent the problem or if they have it, to take off weight in two minutes?
1: Without a doubt, ask your veterinarian to do a body condition score each and every time, okay? That is the, really the most important thing. Ask them what the pet's weight was at your last visit. I think too often veterinary professionals get too busy in the hurly-burly rush of the day, and they actually forget to look back at what the last weight was, which can be a huge indicator. So if the trend is subtly, you know, subtly going up, then we need to take some action. The second thing is to talk to your veterinarian, ask them to calculate the daily calories you need to feed your pet, and then take that number of calories and ask them to help you calculate the amount of food you should feed. And then if I had my silver bullet magic wand, whatever solution, I would say weigh the food. If you really want to precisely get the calories under control, you should weigh that, especially if you use dry kibble. Now, if you use cans, that's a little bit easier because you can have a little more accurate or precise number of calories per can, and so you can dole it out appropriately. But if you're going to use dry kibble, weigh it because it's far more accurate than just using a measuring cup. In fact, we've had veterinarians, we've done numerous studies with vets, we find a variation up to 20%, and typically you're going to see a really tight cluster, 10%, too much, too little, and that just adds up to too much weight.
0: Oh my gosh, I could even add on to what Dr. Ward says, who's the world's expert, literally, on this topic, and that would be exercise for cats. We totally forget about it generally, and also our dogs, I would argue, are under exercise. That's not necessarily your, as you
1: put it, silver bullet, but I think that's a part of all this. It's a part of it, especially for overall health. For weight loss, it's not as big of a component. I mean, weight loss begins and ends at the food bowl, quite frankly. It's about 90% diet in cats and about 60 to 70% diet in dogs. But more importantly, aerobic activity is necessary, as we mentioned, Steve, earlier, to turn on and regulate those neurochemicals, the brain chemicals that determine your dog's quality of life, their overall mental well-being, so exercise is an important, essential component of health.
0: Oh, my gosh. Listening to Dr. Ernie Ward, my brain is exhausted here. A (laughs) lot of of brain exercise. Give me the website. Association Pet Obesity Prevention is? PetObesityPrevention.org. Easy enough, Dr. Ernie Ward. Thank you, as always. Appreciate talking to you.
1: Thank you for all you do. And thank you for being an important part of the board for the Association of Pet Beats Prevention because, Steve, people like you are out there helping change lives and save lives. Thank you. Thank
0: you, Dr. Ward. So what do you think the number is? The number of humans that are infected with Lyme disease. It's almost 500,000 people. Now, the number of dogs. Well, I got that number. I just didn't pull it out of of my hat. I do have a hat on. I didn't pull it out of the hat. Uh, That's from the Centers for Disease Control. For dogs, there is no CDC. So we don't know, but here's what we do know. Lyme is underdiagnosed in dogs. We also know what the signs of Lyme are in dogs. A dog may be limping, but people may say, oh, it's an older dog, or it's the weather, or the dog is arthritic anyway, or the dog is overweight, or the dog exercised too much. Also in dogs, it's a low-level fever. They're just not feeling right. Dogs, we don't take their temperature every day. How do we know? and and a dog may be acting a little off but we don't necessarily we are we observant enough to know that the dogs don't call in sick to work if they're not feeling quite right right so we have no way to know and the other signs of lyme in dogs can be more serious though they are rare Lyme can be prevented in dogs, as well as all tick diseases, by the way. In people, not so easily. So in dogs, there is a protection that you need to ask your veterinarian about. Just don't go to a pet store and say, oh, that's a product for me because uh, the color of the packaging looks really nice. Or uh, it's got a cocker spaniel on the packaging, and I like cocker spaniels. No, no, no. Go ask, or maybe it's on sale. That's not the right, that's always good, but that's not the right reason in this case either. Ask your veterinarian which product is right for your pet. And even if you live in the Chicago area, there is more tick disease even in the city than you might think. Also ask your veterinarian about the vaccine for Lyme. We'll talk to you next week, bright and early on WGN.